Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hundred and fifty ninth edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining me, a Trevor Lawrence fade across the Harpeth River here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. So, quick question um, <clears throat> this fade route, mm-hmm. do, I have to, do I have to jump for it or not? Uh, yeah, it's a fade stop, so you're gonna have to jump for it. Fade stop, back shoulder. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sorry, you you might have to battle off the defensive back. He'll probably have his hands all over you while you're doing it. Good, good. I, I was hoping so. I know you like to get a little physical out there in the secondary. Oh, I do totally. Well, uh, speaking of physical, the third amigo in the second city, a man who finds it appropriate that Liberty's punter got ejected for targeting this weekend. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. I had not even heard that. That's hilarious. Yeah, this you need to go watch this clip ASAP. He, I, I've, I mean, this kid does the textbook spearing. He doesn't. He, he basically launches himself like a missile, head first, hands at his sides at the returner. Like, Gotta bring him down. Gotta bring him down somehow. I mean, he must have just got done watching Varsity Blues. So yeah, it was uh, it was pretty rough, uh, but uh, despite what at first glance seemed to be a relatively weak slate of games for week two, we ended up having a really great Saturday of football. We'll get to some of the headliners here in a minute, uh, but before we get start off with our quick slants, we're just going to do a quick recap of our spread formations. Uh, Josh, I've got some bad news. I had a horrendous weekend all over the map. Yeah, you went over. Oh. Yeah, uh, coach. Not much better. You're one and four. But yes. thanks to uh, backing the Jayhawks, I was three and two on the weekend, baby. The, the Jayhawks snapped their 46-game losing streak on the road. Rock chalk all the way. I'm now four and six, while both of you guys are two and eight. None of us are exactly off to our hottest start, but the season is long, so we've got a long way to go from there. So with that out of the way, Josh, I'm going to throw a slant your way. All right. Well, my first slant is going to be a little uh, tobacco road, two-step, Duke and North Carolina, two pretty bitter tastes uh, in their mouth after this weekend of football. Duke beat Northwestern on the road. That sounds good, but two pretty significant injuries, Uh, key cornerback, uh, by the name of Gilbert, goes down. That appears to be a season-ending injury. And Duke's dynamic quarterback, Daniel Jones, uh, his is not a season-ending injury, but it's going to be a lengthy one. Uh, in our preview, we talked about Duke being pretty thin. Uh, I, I'm struggling to see how they keep this thing together uh, with those two mammoth, mammoth injuries, which is too bad because the Northwestern win put them at 2-0. and the other uh, tobacco road aspect of this is North Carolina. They went to uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, to take on our Purple Pirates, 
who lost to an FCS member a week ago, and the Mad Hatters team came out and laid an egg. They lost 41 to 19, and it, it was it was ugly. Um, the The Pirates put up over 500 yards of offense, 26 first downs. Uh, they were great on fourth down, no turnovers. Um, just the defense for North Carolina is it's atrocious. And I just think that this, uh, if it's not rock bottom, it's pretty dang close. And I think the Hatters days are certainly numbered. Yeah. They did not look good either against Cal last week. So, uh, coach, I previewed some FCS games before the weekend. And I know you've got a, you were watching a couple of them this weekend, uh, with a couple of schools that had upset bids in mind. Yeah. So let me set the scene for you guys. All right. So Clemson a and big headliner, right? All right, so so what we thought was going to be a relatively boring weekend. So you look at the ACC, Virginia Tech versus William & Mary, took care of business, 62-17. All right, Miami, Savannah State, Miami 77 to nothing. All right, Wake Forest, 51-20 to over Towson. Boston College, 62-14 over Holy Cross, right? Syracuse, 62-10 to over Wagner. Louisville, 31-7 to over Indiana State. Eh, and then you get down to the mighty Florida State Seminoles, 36 to 26. And the headline is Francois saves Seminoles with a go-ahead touchdown and two-point conversion. So let me ask you this. Uh, what conference does the Samford Bulldogs play in? Uh, SoCon, I believe. SoCon, and that is in what division of football? FCS. FCS. So you're, you ask yourself why – is Florida State struggling? Well, I'll tell you why. Because, A, this is probably the most undisciplined team I have ever seen um, wearing garnet and gold. Um, Bowden is probably just shaking his head in shame. Uh, two, uh, to go along with that, this might be the worst offensive line I've ever seen a Power 5 school have, um, secondly. Uh, thirdly, well, uh, Willie Taggart is a mess. Uh, he inherited a bit of a mess. Um, he inherited a very talented but very undisciplined team. And here you go. You know, what I watched of this game, Samford, um, to, to put it to you this way, Samford was the better team in this game, sadly. Uh, they were all over the, you know, they were all over the map, Uh Offensively, Sanford was doing a lot of great things. I actually put something in my game plan this week for Gallatin based off something I saw the Sanford Bulldogs do. Um, so it, it, it's it's amazing. Like Georgia played Sanford last year, um, obviously didn't struggle, but you know Sanford, you know they can move the ball. They're an air raid team. Uh, How Mummy uh, disciple Chris Hatcher's their head coach, the Hatch Attack, um, but like. It's an SCS school. They have 20 less full scholarships than you do, and they don't get any five stars. And they have five, Florida State has five stars everywhere. So this is really, really unacceptable, okay? So that's ACC. Now, uh, there was a game I flipped to during the Georgia game occasionally uh, during commercial breaks where I was watching, and all of a sudden I'm I'm looking, and, and Matt, you were sitting right there with me, and I was like – is this 
correct. Uh, I look over. You know, same scenario in the, in the SEC. Tennessee, fifty-nine to three. Um, Alabama, fifty-seven to seven. But they played an FBS team. Uh, I look over and I say, Matt, uh, is that score right? Yeah, yeah. We we had to double check that. What was it at that point? Like thirty or thirty-five or something like that. It was forty-two to thirty-eight, and Southern Illinois was in the lead. Um, now Ole Miss ended up winning seventy-six to forty-one. Uh, and pulled away a little bit, but I mean, talk about a wake-up call. Now it was probably obvious that uh, they were just looking ahead to Alabama. They were kind of sleepwalking in this game, which uh, is never excusable. Uh, but it is, you know, at least it's like, okay, I get it. Um, that's that's cool. But uh, Southern Illinois, they they surprised me a little bit. They played above their heads. They put forty-one up on 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 that Land Shark defense, but. You know, luckily for Ole Miss, um, well, they have A.J. Brown. Uh, And Jordan Tayamu was 23 of 33 for 448 and five touchdowns. So uh, that's a rather productive day for for him. So um, they get off the hook a little bit. But, again, at one point, Southern Illinois in the third quarter was leading this game. So uh, hats off to them. Uh, And then uh, there's a couple games I'm going to preview here in a little bit. But, Matt, I'll give the – I'll give you the floor. All right. Uh, well, for my first slant, I want to take a quick uh, look at the two games that I previewed uh, from the American on last week's show. We're going to start in Annapolis, where the Middies returned to the mainland and found their winning ways uh, in an upset over Memphis, 22-21. to 21. Uh, There was a huge comeback in the fourth quarter uh, by Navy on the back of quarterback Malcolm Perry. He, in this game, he ran the ball 36 times for 166 yards and two scores. The Midias were able to completely dominate time of possession in this one. Memphis held the ball, check this, for 17 minutes in the game. And they only ran a total of 49 offensive plays. Now, Memphis is a team that you are used to seeing run, you know, 75, 80, 85 plays in the game. To only run 49, that is absolute dominance when it comes to time of possession. Uh, When the Tigers did have the ball, uh, they found a lot of success in the running game, though. Daryl Henderson went off. He had 212 yards and three touchdowns on only 13 carries, but they were not able to get the passing game going like they were last week. Um, Elsewhere, um, as predicted here, Buffalo beat Temple in Philadelphia to send the Owls to an 0-2 start. Bulls quarterback Tyree Jackson was, again, excellent. He threw for 275 yards and three scores, and Buffalo's defense was able to turn uh, Temple over three times and hold them to a total of 350 yards. Uh, This score makes the game seem closer than it really was, though, and that's in large part due to a block touchdown, a block punt for a touchdown when Buffalo was basically in the shadow of their own goalpost. Buffalo had nearly twice as many first downs as Temple, held the ball for 11 and a half more minutes than the Owls. Uh, Things are not going to get any easier for Temple either, though. They had to College Park next week to take on the Maryland squad that is looking very good in the early part of the season. Uh, Josh, before you get to your second slant, though, I know you have a couple questionable coaching decisions from the weekend. I do, and I spotted four of them, so we'll break it up. We'll do two now and then two uh, after slants. So, uh, Coach, the first one is USC Stanford. Stanford obviously won it uh, 17 to 3. And my question for you is Men of Troy had all punts and two interceptions 
uh, after their lone score to start the second half. And my question for you is on some of these punting drives when their defense is hanging in there and forcing Stanford to punt, why didn't they go for any fourth down conversions? Because they had a few short ones. They had a fourth and two at their own 31, they had a fourth and three at their own 21. Uh, they had a, um, excuse me, they had a, uh, where was that last one? There it is. Um, they, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I know those aren't ideal field positions, but I'm just sort of thinking about some of the gambles Brett Bielema made on really timely fake punts or, or aggressive plays. Um, don't you think that would have jump-started the offense in any way? It could, but uh, it could have turned really south in a hurry, especially the one on the minus 21. Uh, so so I, I get that. Um, I, I get a few of those, but... At some point, you just got to say, hey, we got to let it rip and we got to get some sort of spark. You know, the, the closer you get to midfield, you know, that's perfect you know, fake punt range. Or, you know, maybe you just try one of your special plays or, you know, just something that, that will get the offense ignited. So I understand that in some scenarios, you know, you play that field position battle and you force Stanford to, you know, drive the field and hope that they can get some more mistakes in there, but I can't fault him on every single one of them. I'll be honest. And then my other one for this part, Coach, is uh, Purdue's loss to Eastern Michigan on the drive to set up the game-winning field goal. Uh, Eastern faced a fourth and 15. Uh, Purdue rushed three, dropped eight in the prevent defense, and it prevented them from winning because on that fourth and 15, well, they gave up a 23-yard pass. So my question for you is why do teams continue to do that and what is a better solution in the future? Uh, Put pressure. I mean, you don't have to bring the house by any stretch. But, again, if you give talented quarterbacks all day, uh, people are going to get open. And I hate the prevent defense. I think you've got to get some sort of pressure uh, on on that quarterback. So uh, you got you got to bring something. Yeah, even if you're bringing four with three men, it's really hard to do any sort of like stunts or twists along the line. But even if you're bringing four guys, you can you, you can do you know a couple stunts, a couple twists with the guys. In that you know that it makes it a lot tougher for the offensive line in that situation. So even if you just bring four guys, it's a lot better than bringing three. All right, Josh, what have you got for your second slant? Yeah, my second slant is two Big Ten teams that they have at least the defense through two games to maybe put a scare into Wisconsin. That is Iowa and Minnesota. Hawkeyes uh, forced Iowa State into 4 of 14 on third down. That awesome running game for Iowa State was just totally manhandled. They produced just 19 yards on 25 attempts. I know Iowa State's quarterback got hurt. He's day-to-day. I certainly hope he can play the Oklahoma game. Um, but his injury really did not change the complexion of the game because Cyclones weren't moving the ball before he went out. And then the Gophers held that electric Jeff Tedford offense to under 300 yards. It done really one-dimensional. Fresno was really bad on third down as well. So, Two defenses that through two weeks look pretty good. Yeah, for, for Minnesota, first of all, Antoine Winfield Jr.'s interception in the end zone was uh, one of the greatest plays I've ever seen. 
And I hate saying that about a gopher, but that, that, that pick was absolutely out of this world. Unfortunately for the Goofs, though, they're going to be down with uh, – they're losing their top two running backs. Their backup, Shannon Brooks, was already out of the season uh, – out for the season because of a leg injury he suffered during the offseason. And their starter, Rodney Smith, now uh, is out with what looks like an ACL injury. So they're going to be down to a true freshman, Bryce Williams, for the rest of the season. So we're going to have to see how that lays out. Coach, for your second slant, uh, I know that you uh, wanted to follow up on one of the other big matchups from the weekend, Mississippi State heading over to the Little Apple in Manhattan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I watched a little bit of this, or a good chunk of this, actually, uh, before I started flipping around and realized Oklahoma was on, and I watched a lot of that beat down. But um, Nick Fitzgerald uh, returned to the field, and uh, that meant that took some of the pressure off of Kylan Hill and Hill ran for 211 yards and accounted for three scores, uh, running and, and catching. So, um, let's just say that the running game was working. Um, but Fitzgerald back there, um, I, I think was, was a huge factor in, in that much success in the run game. Uh, you know, uh, Fitzgerald threw for 154 and two touchdowns. He ran for another 160 himself. Um, as they piled up 540 yards um, on the road in a in a Power Five game, which is impressive. So Moorhead's got those guys rolling, um, and it, it was just it was just fun to watch. Just kind of you know a spread team. You know Mississippi State had always been kind of that team that's lying in the weeds, but when it was time to underachieve, they would underachieve, and then occasionally here we go, it's time to rise up. Well, they're going to rise up. But I think this is going to be a more stabilized, more consistent version of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And I, to be honest with you, um, if I'm if I'm judging uh, just a very small two game sample size, I think as of right now, now this could this could fall right up, right on its face after I say this. But uh, I think Joe Moorhead was was the he was the right guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think Joe Moorhead has been, uh, of the new hires, one of the best so far this season. And I would be remiss if I didn't say, uh, also mention a couple of things before I uh, let you guys, before we uh, move on. Uh, another interesting matchup in the SEC was uh, Wyoming coming to Missouri. And uh, Missouri actually rolled up 40 points. They won 40 to 13. Um, Drew Locke was 33 of 45 for 398 and four touchdowns. So I thought that was an interesting uh, scoreline there. And also uh, an FCS scoreline that was uh, that was a game happening Thursday night. Uh, Kennesaw State uh, took on, they hosted Tennessee Tech. And uh, let's just say they were not gracious hosts. They rushed for 507 yards en route to a 42-7 victory over uh, the Owls of Tennessee Tech. So, um no, Golden Eagles, the Owls, or Kennesaw State. My bad. All right. But yeah, so a couple of interesting things happening, a uh, couple of fun games that were kind of off the radar a little yeah, bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know we love the FCS games here. So my second slant is going to be a little bit longer than the typical slant because uh, I need to get some stuff off of my chest. Guys, uh, I made some bad predictions at the beginning of the year, and so I got a couple mea culpas that I got to just sort of get off my chest and apologize to both you guys as my co-hosts and the listeners. 
the first one of these was uh, my, my first big mistake, I should say, was picking Purdue to finish as the runner-up in the Big Ten West. Josh, you've already uh, talked about this game a little bit with uh, Purdue's pre- prevent defense preventing them from winning. Um, but after being competitive, but ultimately losing to Northwestern in week one, this week uh, Purdue completely dropped the ball against Eastern Michigan, a school that we all picked to be a middle-of-the-pack MAC team. Uh, Elijah Sindelar has been absolutely dreadful behind center for the Boilers. In two games, he's completing only 59% of his passes. He's thrown for three picks and only two touchdowns. Uh, the guy he's splitting time with, David Blau, has not been much better. Even though he's completing nearly 70% of his passes, he's just barely averaging 4.5 yards per attempt, which is pretty dreadful, and he still has yet to throw for a score. Also, question for Jeff Brom. Why did Rondale Moore, who had about as an electric a debut possible in their opener when he broke the school record for uh, all-purpose yards in a game, why did he only touch the ball five times against Eastern? Uh, things are not going to be getting any easier for them over the next two weeks either. Uh, that uh, Drew Locke team that Coach just mentioned in Mizzou, they're coming to town next week, followed by a visit from my no-longer enemies from BC in week four. My second mea culpa concerns Pitt. I'm always a little bit more bullish on Pitt than most, and I don't really have an explanation as to why that is, but I've always just had a soft spot for the Panthers. Coming into the season, I picked them to be the runner-up to the U in the ACC Coastal. Uh, Boy, oh boy, though, I I got a feeling I might be wrong on that one. After struggling to pull away uh, against FCS, also ran Albany in their opener, Pitt was honestly embarrassed Saturday night by the Nittany Lions to the tune of 51 to 6. Now, the score is a little bit more dramatic than the underlying numbers would probably indicate. Pitt actually won the type of possession battle by about nine minutes and were within 90 total yards of Penn State, but they were undermined by a couple of things. First of all, penalties. They had they were flagged 14 times for 116 yards. You're never going to win a game when you have that many flags thrown your way. And secondly, Kenny Pickett is clearly not the answer at quarterback. I can't believe I'm actually saying this, especially as a Buffalo Bills fan, but Nathan Peterman isn't walking through those doors. I know conditions were bad, Ooh. and for that game, it was it, it was a, an absolute muck fest. But still, uh, completing only 50% of your passes, forget this, three yards per attempt no scores, a pick, and four sacks. That is a genuinely, genuinely awful quarterback line. I also want to apologize to Mike the Pirate. I said uh, that uh, he was going to be the first coach fired in the Pac-12 this season. Clearly, I was wrong there. Uh, Wazoo is 2-0. and They beat a Wyoming team that I really like in week one, and they pitched a shutout against San Jose State last week. Now, the Spartans uh, aren't exactly a powerhouse, but a goose egg is a goose egg nonetheless. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that that they threw for three picks, but, you know, uh, if your defense is going to play like that and hold an FBS team, any FBS team, to 109 total yards, you're going to win most of your game. So I will tip my tricorn hat to you, Mike Leach, and as well to the big man in charge of the defense, Tracy Clays. And finally, sticking in the Pac-12, I want to apologize to Mike McIntyre in Colorado for predicting that they would not make a bowl and would finish second to last in the Pac-12 South, just ahead of Arizona State, who we'll be talking about here in a little bit. I did not realize that Steven Montez would take a huge step forward in that uh, LaVisca Chenault Jr. would stay kicking game with a capital G. Uh, This cat against Nebraska uh, uh, had 177 yards. uh, It 
receiving, which gives him uh, gives the six two sophomore from DeSoto, Texas, twenty one catches and three hundred eighty eight yards through two games this season. Um, Scott Frost did not get off to the start that he had hoped for in his debut against uh, Colorado for Nebraska, especially because Adrian Martinez went down and the former UCF head coach is uh, still whinging a little bit about the hit uh, in the, in the, the supposed uh, twist of uh, Martinez's leg at the bottom of the pile. I've watched the video. It's, uh, it's questionable at best. I think that Frost needs to stop complaining. Uh, you know, it's a shame that Martinez get injured, but injuries happen in football. So, uh, Josh, before we hit this pop quiz, uh, you want to hit us off with your uh, other two questionable coaching choices? Definitely. Uh, so, Coach, end of the first half of that Minnesota-Fresno State game, uh, Gophers hit a field goal to go up 10 nothing. There's just 58 seconds left. Uh, I'm wondering what the conversation is on the sideline because, uh, well, the Fresno kick returner decided to take it out of the end zone, fumbled it at the seven-yard line. Uh, His team luckily recovered. Then uh, Fresno was confused about things, used their last time out before even snapping a play. And then since they were pinned way back at their own seven-yard line, they just ran two conservative plays. Well, that's got to be about the worst-case scenario without giving up further points uh what type of conversation did uh the special teams coordinator jeff tedford uh evidently not have well um i think the lack of communication was between the special teams coordinator or uh in some cases in college programs the guy who's over kickoff return he probably forgot to mention oh um if it doesn't look like a good situation uh just take a knee and we'll take the ball at the 25. Uh, he didn't listen. Uh, he decided to run it out. It was almost completely catastrophic, but, you know, all in all, it was just a waste of a possession. And if I'm Jeff Tedford, um, I'm not happy. And, uh, that you can't, you can't do that. If, if, if there's any doubt with the, with the touchback rules, just take a knee. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Just take a knee. And, and with the new fair catch rules, too. Yeah, and get the ball on the 25, and let's rock and roll. But, All right. So then this was my last one, and to me this was the most egregious decision of the week. Uh, tied 21-all in the third quarter of the game. Lester Kentucky has a fourth and one at their own 15-yard line. So the minus 15, right? Yes. So they're, yeah, <laughs> 15 yards, yeah, in the opposite direction. So they're facing. I, I refer to it plus or minus in case you're wondering. Yeah, okay, perfect. Like anything yeah. anything north of 50 yards is the, is plus. the minus. There we go. Side. And the plus side is anything on the, on the plus end of the 50. So, like, if you have 40 yards to go, that's you're on the plus. Love it. Well, there, well, Western was facing 85 yards to go. Okay. Uh, so fourth and one, they ran it and didn't get it and gave Maine very short field. Maine needed all of one play, six seconds, to take a lead that they would not relinquish as the Black Bears started very surprising 2-0, and knocking off FCS heavyweight New Hampshire a week ago and then FBS, Sunbelt team, or excuse me, Conference USA team, Western Kentucky. Coach, I wanted to be a little aggressive for my first one with USC at about 
approaching midfield. I'm going the opposite way. This is just insanity, right? Yeah, I mean, you're on the minus 15. Just, you know, you're tied. And what what, what was the quarter situation again? I was uh, midway through the third. Okay, so you still have plenty of time. Punt it. Punt it. Let your defense shut them out, go three and out, and get the ball back. You have more scholarships than they do. <laughs> punt it. It's okay to punt occasionally. It's so okay. is, it, is it fair that any Western Kentucky blogger, journalist calling for their coach's head, they, they're in the right on this one? Eh, I wouldn't go that <laughs> far. But, yeah, it's pretty boneheaded, though. I will say that. That's pretty, like, I, it, I don't want to say boneheaded. It's more reckless than anything. It's more like, oh, well, they're an FCS team. We're just going to, we can go for it from anywhere on the field. So, yeah, man, uh, Black Bears, baby. They're off to a 2 0 start. They beat New Hampshire. Now they've beaten Western Kentucky. They are off to a tear. Yeah, absolutely. All right, gentlemen, get out your number two pencils. It's pop quiz time. Oh, man, you can study. <laughs> it's okay. I think you guys, I think you guys will do pretty well on this one. Okay, so this uh, this week with the AP poll coming out on Sunday marked the 107th week that Alabama uh, was number one in the AP poll, uh, giving them sole position of number one, breaking their tie with the Ohio State University. But at this point, gentlemen, there are 21 schools that have been in the AP poll for more than 100 weeks but have never reached number one. So 100 weeks in the AP poll, but never reaching number one. Name those 21 schools. I will start with you, Josh. All right. So just to clarify, this is the most weeks in the AP poll with never being ranked at the top 10. No, no, ranked number one. Ranked number one. Okay. Without being ranked number one. Okay. Let's see. Minimum of 100 weeks. It's their 21 schools that have done it. Okay, so any team that's won a national title coach, we can just toss out the window. Mm-hmm. Mind you, the AP poll started in uh, 1938. Yeah. Okay. So I am going to say that I believe our alma mater is in that dubious group, Mr. Perkins. So I'm uh, going to go with Wisconsin. Uh, that is incorrect. Uh, Wisconsin oh. actually has been number one. Uh, they were number one, I believe, back in 1962 or 63 when they played uh, USC in the Rose Bowl and lost a heartbreaker. Well, that's a quick strike on to you, Coach. This is a stumper. Well, I know Georgia, my alma mater, is definitely not one of them because they were <laughs> ranked number one at one point last season. Um, and, of course, in 1980, they were ranked number one when they won the national championship. So, um, it's not them. Um, it's definitely not Notre Dame. I can tell you that with with a, with the with certainty. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's definitely not the U. So here's what I'm gonna say: most weeks ranked in the AP poll, but never being ranked number one. I'm gonna say, and is it consecutive or just no, no, just total, just total. Um. I'm going to ask, was, was, oh God, this is going to be a terrible guess. Um, I will say, 
was Georgia Tech ever ranked number one even when they won their national championship? Is your is your guess Georgia Tech? Yes. That would be an excellent guess because they are the school with the most weeks in the poll without being number one. 307 weeks in the AP poll, never ever achieved number one, highest ranking number two. All right. Okay. Well, Coach, uh, I'm really glad you added Georgia because the school that came to me, Beamer Ball, lot of lot of weeks in the poll. It's the – 70s and 80s, back when Beamer was getting the thing that turned around. That Michael Vick team never won a national title. He never played for another one. So I'm going to go with Virginia Tech. Great guess, Josh. They are number two, 296 weeks without number one. All right, there we go. Yay. <laughs> um, okay. So oh, this, is, this is a really good one. Um, so the Huskies have been really good lately. Um, the Huskies of Washington? Yes. I'm going to go off the wall and say, like, they were, they've been good, like, in, like, random decades and random years. But I'm going to say they're probably towards the bottom of this list. So I'm going to guess they're the 21st ranked school on this list. So I'm going to go with the Washington Huskies. Uh, no, actually, Washington won a title in 1990, I believe, or 89, 90, 91, sometime right around there. They, uh, they've actually spent 435 weeks in the polls, and they've been ranked number one before. Oh, okay. And, uh, it was Colorado that shared with Georgia Tech in mm-hmm. 1990. Yeah, no, uh, Washington, won, Washington won a title uh, uh, so, sometime there in the late 80s, early 90s. I don't remember exactly which year. Nice. Uh, Josh. Yeah. One, one strike each. Okay. So, I don't know much about their history pre the coach that got them amazing, but since Urban Meyer and then Kyle Whittingham, Utah's been phenomenal, but I don't remember them ever being even like a top two team uh that is correct uh utah has spent 115 weeks in the poll but their highest rank is number two okay so was that uh was that the whittingham team that or was that the urban meyer team uh i believe that was uh, one of the whittingham teams that started off like eight or nine and oh nice. i don't i don't have that in front of me though um it doesn't well, tell you- my 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 didn't tell me when they reached uh their their peak ah all right, uh, Coach. I'm going to stay in the same uh, the same region of the country. Uh, they were once conference mates, but no longer. Oh, I think you're picking my next guest. Uh, they they play on the Smurf turf. Uh, um, well, I got to find my next guest. <laughs> they've they've been they've been ranked since uh, probably before this, but they've been ranked for as long as I can remember since 2006 but have never been ranked number one. That is the Boise State Broncos. That is correct. They've spent 142 weeks in the polls, highest ranked number two. Well done, Coach. (sighs) All right. So on to me. Hmm. Hmm. I am going to... Say that between their current coach 
routinely winning nine to ten games, but never the conference. And before that, having less miles. And before that, not immediately before less miles, but at some point having Jimmy Johnson. Oklahoma State has had a ton of good coaches, but has always been a bridesmaid. That would be a great choice, Josh. They've spent 238 weeks in the polls, uh, but their peak has been number two. All right. Well I'm, done. I'm going to stay in the same conference. Uh, I don't think this team has ever won a national championship, uh, as, far as, I, as far as I know. You're um, right. Iowa State has never won a national championship. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> so I'm going to just cut to the chase and say TCU. TCU. Uh, no, uh, TCU uh, hit number one uh, a couple of years ago, actually, I think, uh, for one week. They've been in the polls for 241 weeks and have hit number one at least at one point. One week? Mm-hmm. That's so lame. All right, Josh. I will say, though, I, 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 I will give you guys a hint. Uh, the, uh, the, the most fertile conferences for these are definitely the, the Big 12 and the Pac-12. You've already hit a. You've already hit. Uh, you've already hit one. One Big Twelve, one Pac Twelve team. But there, there are more where those came from. Josh, Matt, it's not the Fighting yeah. Track Stars. <laughs> Matt, you mentioned earlier the year the AP poll started. May I have that again, or is that cheating? Thirty-eight. Nineteen thirty-eight. Okay, so that helps my next guess because being a Big Ten blogger and looking at the history of coaches a few years back. There's a team I noticed that has a boatload of conference titles, but they haven't had much national success since the galloping ghost at Robert Zubke. I believe they're not going to go with the fighting Illini. That's a great choice, Josh. They've spent 181 weeks in the polls. Uh, they are peaked at number two, but have never hit number one. But they have a bunch of national titles, but... But all their titles are from, like, the 20s. and Yeah, the Red Grange era. Yeah. 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 I, think well they might have a, I think they might have a random claimed one from after World War II, but I think it's those kind of dubious ones. Yeah. Coach, two strikes. Oh, no pressure. Um, so, Big 12, Pac-12. So, uh, I'm going to go... Um, since Jim Harbaugh took over, uh, I, they've not been ranked number one. Um, but they've been ranked, I feel like, ever since Jim Harbaugh took over. Uh, that is the Stanford Cardinal. Great choice, Coach. Uh, Stanford has been in the polls for 297 weeks, but has never reached number one. Their high is number two. They are number three on this list. Hmm. Nice, nice. Um, I am going to go with a program that was phenomenal in the 1980s with a little bit of an asterisk. And they were really, really good in like the 20s and 30s. And I'm going to go with a little bit of a gamble and say the SMU Ponies. Ooh, SMU. Uh, sorry, Josh. SMU is hit number one. Uh, at least for one week before. They've been in the polls for 161 weeks, and they've at least hit at number one once. Mm, might have been during the Doak Walker years yeah. then. Two strikes apiece. Okay. 
Well, that's why it was a gamble. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel. I still when, you, when, when you said really good in the 80s, I thought you were going somewhere else. That would have been a good guess, but you know. Hmm. Well, okay. Good in the 80s. All right. Let's let's see. Well, Pittsburgh was ranked number one. <laughs> Josh. Yeah. Or, sorry, Coach, you're up. Yeah, thanks, Dan Marino. Uh, <laughs> Lace is out, Dan. Um, so my next guess, I'm going to stay in the same conference, and I'm going to head north to Eugene. And I'm going to say the Oregon Ducks under Chip Kelly. Uh, Oregon has definitely been ranked number one. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, they've spent 284 weeks in the polls, and they've been ranked number one. I think they they hit a, a number one ranking with Joey Harrington at one point. Uh, Were, they I, favored? I, Were they favored against Auburn? Uh, it might have been number, no, no. Might have been the number one team in that game. No, Auburn was the number one, was the number one team in that game. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm yeah, that's why team. that's why I guessed them because that that I felt like that was their peak. No, uh, unfortunately for you, coach, uh, the Ducks have been number one. <sighs> All right, uh, Josh, uh, you need a you need a, a correct guess to win it here. I need a correct guess to win. What happens if I get an incorrect guess? Then we then we go to sudden death. Can we go to sudden death? Okay. Let's see. I'm trying to think of some teams um, that have been really good, but no. I know it's not the exact same as being number one, but I'm just trying to think of teams that, as far as I know, have never won a national title. And let's see. There is a couple that come to mind. Um, and I am going to say, hmm, I'm going to say Virginia. How's that? Ooh, Virginia is a, is an interesting choice, but, uh, unfortunately, Josh, uh, they have hit number one at some point. So when were when were they number one? I don't know. I, I, I can't tell you when they were number one, but probably when they had the Barber Twins. <laughs> Maybe I, I I can't tell you, but I can I can tell you that they've been number one at some point. All right, rapid fire, uh, clocks running, coach. Throw out of school. No pressure. Um. No, not Penn State. Uh, I, need, I need an answer. Penn I need State it. was ranked number one like throughout the I, 80s. I, I know. That's why I said not Penn State. Uh, <laughs> Iowa. Uh, Iowa, no. Uh, we won, a, we won a national title in the 50s there, buddy. Oh. Uh, I, was Josh? Hoping, I was hoping you won it as the number two team. No. The number two team was LSU because LSU – lost their bowl game and Iowa didn't and yet LSU likes to claim that as a bowl game that is or a, as a natty that is some straight up BS if you ask me what uh, year was that Josh like 59 yeah that was the 58 season okay, so the, yeah. Yeah, yeah Iowa won the 59 Rose Bowl right there baby mm-hmm. all right so I need a team I need a team all right um, I kind of felt good about some ACC stuff, even though I missed uh, with Virginia. But there was another team that comes to mind. This might surprise people, but they played in a Rose Bowl in the 1940s. They were awesome in the 50s. Um, 
they're known as a basketball school now, but prior to World War II, they were known as a football school, and that is the Duke Blue Devils. The Dukies! That is correct. 172 weeks in the polls. Uh, Duke has high, reached a high of number two. Josh, I've been on the schneid. I, I lost the last two weeks in, like, embarrassing fashion. So you, you have won. The teams you guys missed, West Virginia, Arizona State, Kansas State, Baylor. Kansas State was straight up my next guess. Houston. Nice. South Kakalaki, Arizona, North Carolina State, Washington State, Texas Tech, Louisville, Navy. And drumroll, please, with 109 weeks in the polls, yet never reaching number one, only reaching number two, your Kansas Jayhawks. Nice. Oh, uh, yeah, with the, uh, with the, the John Riggins era. <laughs> uh, Louisville was floating in my mind. I mean, they've had some good coaches. They had Schnellenberger. They, uh, they had, you know. Two stints of Petrino. Yep, they've been rising up and up. They had a Heisman Trophy winner. I just never pulled uh, the trigger on them. I wish I had. Yep. Charlie Strong had a couple good years there. Yep. All right. Well, let's hit some deep Ooh, roots. That was a good one, Coach. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's hit some deep roots then. Uh, and we'll start, Coach. Uh, we celebrated your birthday in style on Saturday with Buffalo Chicken Dip, Banquet Beer, and a demolition of the Gamecocks by your dogs. Uh, what struck me most while watching this one uh, together, Coach, was how one-dimensional Georgia's defense made South Carolina become. They had less than zero running game, and they made Jake Bentley drop back 48 times. Uh, what stood out to you in this decisive 41-17 to victory? Well, just the sheer ferocity of that defensive front. I mean, I haven't seen a defensive front that fast um, in the black and red, and it was it was incredible. And, and they put pressure. They were hitting uh, Jake Bentley all day long. They um, Debo Samuel couldn't do anything uh, when he tried to run those jet sweeps that he's been successful with against everybody else in the past. Um, just. Just sheer, they, they couldn't block them. I mean, they couldn't. It didn't matter who Georgia put in there; they could not block them. And it, Tyler Clark was probably the 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 main one, uh, you know, of that defensive front. Monty Rice, Jawan Jawan Taylor, uh, Natres Patrick at the linebacker positions, all had stellar days. Jawan Jawan Taylor picked up a uh, actually picked up a. Uh, fumble to on DeAndre Baker's first pick six, um, but it's uh, it was incredible just how it, just the speed in which they came off the ball and just hit and how violent they were. Josh, how much how big of a setback do you think this is for South Carolina? Do you think they can they can pick up the pieces and you know still make a make a run for second place in the East? They never were a contender. They're too young. They're too early on any potential rebuild for Muschamp. I was surprised they were ranked, quite frankly. Um, I think this will sting for a week, but, hey, if they win 8-9, even maybe somehow get to 10 wins, I think we'll just look back on this and see it as as a bad day. But um, the one thing that I did find interesting for such a lopsided game is, um, you, you know, just kind of looking at some of the stuff that Georgia was doing, you're only 40% on third down an overly impressive day um, by Jake Fromm. 
it's it was impressive just how lopsided the game became, like Coach said, because of the one-dimensionality of the Gamecocks. This wasn't like Georgia Tech dropped <laughs> 700 offensive yards and was just picking them apart. It, it was just it was a weird grinder that got lopsided. You don't really see that happen sometimes. Yeah, I, I was surprised that we didn't see a, a whole lot of Justin Fields in this one. We got we got glimpses of him, but this was definitely the the Jake from State Fromm show. Well, when you're 15 of 18, uh, you're extremely efficient, and it, it just why why um, you, you know you're a veteran, you're on the road. At some point in the second quarter, South Carolina was actually showing some signs of life. Uh, at least uh, defensively, they were getting pressure on Fromm. They were making sacks. They were making tackles for loss. And then just all of a sudden, the depth took over and Georgia's offensive line just just physically overpowered them. All right. Well, moving on, uh, Josh, you already talked about one of the questionable coaching decisions from this one. But Saturday night's headliner was JT Daniels' first road game for USC. They they, uh, went up to the farm in Palo Alto. And uh, Daniels played about as well as you expect any high schooler to play against uh, a Stanford defense that was simply dominant uh, on Saturday night. Daniels was 16 for 34, 215 yards and two picks, sacked four times for a loss of 28 yards, and just never looked comfortable in the pocket. Josh, what specifically were the Cardinal able to do to expose him? Well, I think part of it was... Stanford just made USC so one-dimensional. Uh, 114 rushing yards, but they needed 37 carries to get there. That's not a particularly effective day at the office, and that created a pretty one-dimensional USC Trojan team. Uh, so that played a big part of it. And yeah, I think Stanford just did a really good job of disguising some of the stuff they were doing. And as the game kind of never really got away from USC because it was only a 14-point game. But as the offense continued to flounder, uh, I thought Daniels then sort of did what you always dread a freshman quarterback doing, and and that's getting into the interception column. And just as a comparison, you know, Zach Anikstead over at Minnesota, he wasn't that good against Fresno. He had zero touchdowns, but the big thing is zero interceptions. And to me, that's the biggest thing that freshman quarterback do to hurt their team. It's uh, it's not necessarily the huge mistake. It's just a whole bunch of little ones. And eventually it, it caught up to USC and, and those two picks. Yeah, uh, Coach, one of the things watching this game – Probably the thing that annoys me the most about Stanford is they run this play uh, that they call the like I think it's called the they call it the downhill toss is when they quarterbacks under center and they do like a quick toss to the running back who then runs basically off tackle it's and power toss yeah power toss whatever you want to call it but instead of having handoff it's this toss and w- when they do this. What what happens? I mean, LSU has been running this play seemingly for decades now. But it, you know, one of the one of the reasons that you you know give a hand, you, you do the handoff is because it allows the running back to start. 
going downhill. But if the toss is off even by six inches, the running back has to either like stutter step or, you know, break out of, you know, his, his natural downhill, uh, motion and it completely defeats the purpose i saw stanford run this play seemingly a hundred times they scored a touchdown on it but they also got stopped for you know one yard no gain behind the line at least a half dozen times why why do why do teams keep running this play coach i don't know like they feel like i i guess they feel like exactly what you said you you get the ball in the hands of the running back quicker and he can get more and he can get straight downhill and they're they're usually pulling guys and kicking guys and but I really, honestly, I don't see the benefit in it, and I kind of agree with you. That annoys me a little bit too, because it's like if you're going to toss it, you know, the the idea of a toss is to quickly get the ball, uh, quickly and effectively get the ball to the perimeter. Um, that that's how I see it. But you know, again, there's probably something to this play that that all of us are missing, including myself. But uh, I I don't I don't like it. Yeah, it's driving me crazy. Well, anyways, uh, Stanford looked like they are uh, the class of the Pac-12, uh, you know, a- a- after this completely dominant performance. Um, let's move on, though. Uh, in what turned out to be a thriller, Texas A&M came almost all the way back against Clemson, but ended up falling just short, losing 28-26. to Kellen Mond uh, lit up that vaunted Clemson defense 430 yards and three scores, more importantly, zero turnovers and only got sacked once. Coach, what made the Aggies so successful against uh, this Clemson defense that, you know, you know, most people think is, you know, uh, if not the best, one of the two or three best units in the country? Well, I think that last stat you, uh, you mentioned, no sacks. Uh, that means Kellen Mond, who, who we knew was talented coming in, uh, that was no, that was no secret. Um, and he's, he's, a dual threat guy. He can, you know, he's a pass first, but the ability to run type field. He's improved as a passer from last year, this year. It is noticeable. His mechanics are way cleaner. His accuracy seems to be way up from last year. He's made, he's jumped by leaps and bounds over how he looked last year. That's what happens when you get protection too. I mean, that, that helps. And he had a phenomenal second half as well. Uh, You could tell some of the experience was, was coming through. And uh, even though they fell short, I mean, he was nothing, uh, less than spectacular, and and it was it was a thing of beauty to see. But he is like you know you're you're exactly right. He is leaps and bounds, night and day, whatever whatever other stupid analogy you want to use. He was tremendous uh, on Saturday night, and I'm starting to become a believer in this Texas A&M team. I'm not necessarily rooting for them, but I'm starting to kind of become a believer in. Hey, they might they might be onto something here. So. Uh, watch out for them. I think whatever you want to say bad about Jimbo, um, he does know what he's doing. He he is a good coach. Um, he might be a little shady, but he's good. When if you just strip it down to only football, he's really good. Yeah, he has some uh, some serpentine qualities about his personality. But yes. uh, Josh, well, what did you notice in this one? What a couple takeaways. You know, everyone's talking about how uh, amazing Clemson's offense should be with, uh, you know, the embarrassment of riches between Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant. And an offense was not very good. Um, The running game was really, really bad. Uh, Travis Etienne, just eight carries. 
why does your lead back only have eight carries? I don't get that. Um, I thought Clemson was lucky to win this game. It felt like one of those weird times when Nick Saban outcoaches himself. There were times where it looked like Dabo Sweeney was out coaching himself. So that was a takeaway for me. The other one is football is just a sport that awards aggressiveness. You're the more aggressive wide receiver. You get held. You're going to get the pass interference. And everything tends to favor being bold in the sport, yet when you fumble into the end zone reaching for the pylon, you lose possession. Uh, it's a goofy rule. It didn't really cost Texas A&M because they did get the touchdown back eventually and then had the failed two-point conversion. But I, I don't know, Coach. What, do you think that's a rule that should ever be changed or looked at? It, it just seems weird that, oh, you reached out, <laughs> you hit, you dropped it, oh, give it to the other team even if you're running into the end zone. So what, what do you say? Do you just get it? Back where, where the ball spotted? Because, I mean. I would be fine with that. I would also be fine with it going to the three yard line. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh, to make I, the- I'd even be open for it to being a, a, a touchback so you get the ball back at the 20. But the team that was on offense still gets the ball back. At the minus 20? So you have to go 80 more yards? No, no, no. So you only have to go 20 uh, more yards. Okay. You know? Yeah. It just sort seems of, sort of weird. Like a reverse a reverse touchback, if you will. Yeah, it's just it's just weird because the whole sport is emphasizing more and more scoring, and um, you know, like I said, that the sport has tended to award bold action, except for that one that one rule. Yeah, well, it's, it's 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 odd because for a hundred yards of the field, it's out where it you get it where it goes out. So he was essentially two inches away from ball at the one instead of Clemson ball at the 20. So that that is the part that bothers me the most because it's not really a consistent rule. I think I think they need to, you know, treat it as such. Like if you fumble, you know, if they're going to make that the rule, then make sure every time you fumble out of bounds, it turns over. Or on the flip side, make sure they, you know, just create a situation in which the offense does not lose possession of the ball. They just get it, you know, they lose the penalty and fumbling through the end zone as you lose yardage. And, you know, may, maybe that's where you go. Yeah, well, uh, that was obviously a, a, a controversial call there. But I, at the end of the day, I still think that the better team won the game. But it was way closer than uh, I think any of us expected it to be. Uh, well, it's we'll, funny Clemson went hard for Kellen Mott to just think how much better they would look actually with him. That's a good question. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a pretty that's a pretty good point. Um, Here, here's the deal. I, I think it's too. Trevor Lawrence is obviously the more talented quarterback, but it's just too early for him. I don't think he has uh, the poise and maturity and the and the experience and seasoning. Um, as Kelly Bryant and Kelly Bryant is clearly less talented than Lawrence, but uh, when Lawrence finally kind of settles down this, you'll see a jump in this tiger offense. I promise you. 
All right. Well, for those of you who are enjoying Pac-12 After Dark, you got a fun, albeit uh, ugly at time games out there in the desert where Herm Edwards and the Sun Devils knocked off uh, Michigan State 16-13. to Temperatures at kickoff were over the century mark, even though the sun had already set. But that heat did not translate to points on the field. Uh, even though his stat line ended up being pretty good, though, Josh, I thought Brian Lewerke looked just off all night. Uh, so what did the Sun Devils do to slow down Sparty and uh, the rest of that uh, Michigan State offense. They showed up. Yeah, uh, it might have been partly Sparty. This is also now a theme really since LJ Scott's impressive freshman year, which is what in the world is the Michigan State running attack doing? Uh, He had seven carries for 19 yards, one of his worst days of his career. As a team, 63 yards on 27 carries. Uh, look, Brian Lewerke has really improved as a passer, and I might be as surprised as anyone. I did not expect him to develop into this good of a throwing quarterback. But like you said, Matt, his stat line ended up being impressive, but it kind of went all for naught. He had the pick. Team wasn't balanced. And then sloppy, 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 two weeks in a row of just – team being all over the map defensively but then add this in nine penalties 82 yards they doubled up Arizona State in the one stat you don't want to double up your opponent in this Michigan State team feels like they got to go back to basics yeah just figure out the small stuff and your run blocking scheme being more disciplined on defense to me it almost looks at times that They know they're so talented individually that they're no longer playing good team defense. They're they're almost doing like 11 dudes playing hero ball out there and not maintaining discipline on a zone, not not relying on the safety coverage in man-to-man, things like that, and it's biting them. Yeah, and, you know, maybe we should have seen this coming. Arizona State is undefeated at home against Big Ten teams now. They are 10-0 and in their history. But, uh, Coach, you know, we all expected to Herm Ed- for Herm Edwards to fall f- flat on his face. Uh, the Devils are 2-0. and I mean, you know, say what you want about Herm Edwards and, you know. We have. Fun- we, we, we definitely have. Poke fun at him all we want. But the fact of the matter is that this guy just proved that, hey, I still know football, and, you know, football is football, and something is clicking with him and and these kids. You know, something is resonating in his message. Something – he's doing something right. And I think we're – I think we may see – you know, this might come back and bite me in the butt. I don't know. But we may see that – it was actually all along college was the better fit for him because he's more of a teacher. Um, now, since he's been with ESPN, he has had some very limited coaching experience. Yeah, he coached at a bunch of those like all American games, right? Yeah, and he's he's one of his strong suits is he's he's always been a really good teacher of the game. Um, so maybe that maybe that's the. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's the thing that gets him over the hump. But you know, again, the the true test will be: can he recruit? And we'll we'll see at that play out. If he can't recruit, then it doesn't matter how well he can teach. 
Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, finally, Coach, uh, you had you got some good birthday presents this weekend, but I think the best one that you got was Kentucky beating Florida in the swamp. Oh, yes. That happened for the first time since you were in diapers. Uh, Benny Snell and Juco transfer quarterback uh, Terry Wilson were absolutely outstanding for the Wildcats. They combined 285 yards on the ground. Coach, Florida's offense looked great in their opener. So what did Kentucky do to hold Felipe Franks and the rest of the Gators to only 16 points? Well, they just said, you know what, Felipe Franks, you're just going to be Felipe Franks. Um, really, I mean, honestly, you know, uh, they put pressure on him both offensively and, and defensively. They, you know, they, they did things with Benny Snell, you know, 27 carries, 175 yards. Um, you know, they just took, they put a lot of pressure on Florida's offense, um, just with what they were doing on, on the other side of the ball. Uh, they, they blitzed and they did all sorts of, uh, things to disrupt Felipe Franks's rhythm, and you know it's just one thing after another, and and next thing you know, they get momentum, and then once you get momentum, Benny Snell's not a guy that you want um, to try to stop, especially late in the game when you're trying to make a comeback, because he's going to find all of those holes and things like that. Um, what also hurt was. Uh, one of their big-time defensive ends, uh, C.C. Jefferson, was suspended for uh, academic issues. Uh, this was his second straight game that he missed. Um, so that didn't help. Um, and also, um, it, it just, I don't know, I, I just, Mullen just had this befuddled look on his face a lot, and, and that let me know that he was a bit overwhelmed as well. So just a whole bunch of things that just leads you to believe that McElwain just left this program in a bigger mess than everybody realizes. Uh, Josh, uh, what did you pick up from this one? I can't believe I'm doing this for the third game in a row, but look, if you have a quarterback that is not necessarily the greatest in the world and Felipe Franks, really, really athletic kid, but in terms of being a pure passing quarterback, he's not the greatest in the world. You need to help them out by being balanced. Well, Franks was the leading rusher with 44 yards and had the most carries. So what are the running backs doing? What's the offensive line doing? What's the play calling to end up with 128 rushing yards but needing 29 carries to do that? That's 4.4 yards per carry. When we think of, like, successful run offenses, you're up over five yards a game because – for every, you know, nickel and dime play you're having, you're ripping off a nice, like, 15, 20-yarder. Florida never really did that. So that was a takeaway for me of, of just not helping out your your struggling quarterback. Uh, but my, my biggest takeaway, though, is Benny Snell is amazing, and we all know that. But quarterback Terry Wilson, really good with his feet as well. He had over 100 yards, really nice touch on some of his deep balls. And I'll tell you the scary thing if you're a Kentucky fan, or a scary thing if you're a Florida fan, Kentucky beat you despite having two giveaways. And how about this, Coach? 12 penalties for Stoops' team and 114 penalty yards, and they still found a way to not just win, but win by two scores. That, that That's just sad on Florida's part that – 
you know, you get all of those breaks and you can't do it because you're not balanced. Um, because you can't run the ball because your quarterback who, um, you know, who is mediocre or decent at best, you're putting the game in his hands. He can't do it. And the running game can't help him. And the offensive line are overwhelmed. Um, and then defensively, they can't get off the field and they can't even give the ball to your offense. And then when Kentucky tries to give it away, you say, eh, I don't really want it. Um, but this is the first time the Gators have lost an SEC opener since 2004 as well. So they had a nice little streak going with, with that too. So uh, hats off to Kentucky though. I mean, they had a great game plan. They executed for the most part. Um, they were fortunate. Um, they're not going to be able to, commit three turnovers and have a million and a half yards and and penalties in the future and expect to be successful. But right now they're sitting at two and Oh, they snapped a kajillion year uh, curse with the Gators. So um, hats off. All right. Well, uh, Josh, do you have any final words for us here uh, to wrap up week two? Yeah, I do have one uh, heartbreaking, heartbreaking defeat for one of our favorite teams. I don't know why we buried the lead on this one, but uh, the Razorbacks snapped one of the nation's longest winning streaks. It um, One of the most impressive winning streaks, too, of one game. Uh, they just could not handle the altitude. They played an amazing three quarters. Just uh, They looked like Alabama for three quarters, racing out to a 27-9 lead, had a had a 27 to 17 lead entering the fourth quarter. They're just whooping up on Colorado state. They packed up the bus. Uh, Somehow they did not get the memo that this is a four quarter sport. And when it was all said and done, they gave up 389 passing yards and uh, Preston Williams had 154 receiving yards. But uh, once, once Arkansas gets that NCAA rule changed to a three quarter game again, Look out, Arkansas is going to start ripping off those long winning streaks again. Probably win one, one, two games in a row. And, I mean, that's just inconceivable. Chad Morris, you you, you might have to, uh, you know, have have him slow down for the rest of us to catch up. Uh, Coach, any final words from you here today? Yeah, Rock Chuck Jayhawk, one and one on the season. Uh, 31-7 to victory over Central Michigan. So I think what they did was – I think their method worked. Uh, they imported the track um, for their sideline. That's what they walked across to make them feel at home. And they certainly played that way. And, and I think they, uh, I think they brought John Riggins out of out of retirement. I think he had one more year left of eligibility, so um, they they dusted him off, and he rushed for two hundred yards and two touchdowns. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, one thing I do want to say uh, quickly before we go about uh, that Kansas game was uh, I, I want to have a, a quick shout out to Puka Williams Jr. Uh, the freshman uh, wasn't able to play in their first game, but uh, he he looked great for them. 14 carries, 125 yards, and two touchdowns in a phenomenal name. So uh, just all around uh, rock chalk, baby. Rock. Puka. Chalk. And you know what, Josh, week three is going to bring us a just an absolute clash of the Titans. Do you know who Kansas plays in week three? Oh, are, are we burying the lead? No, no. And the, I, then I don't care. 
They're playing. <laughs> they're playing Rutgers. Oh God. Can we make that a deep root next week? No, it, 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 it's, it has to be a spread formation. Oh, it has to be a spread formation. You know the rules. If, how about, if, how about if, both? <laughs> uh, just a reminder, just a reminder, um, Rutgers versus Ohio State was a conference game. Yes, yes, it was. Despite the outcome. Uh, what was the final games, score, 52-3, to three, something like that? Uh, I believe the final score is what we like to call a lot to a little. Mm. Is that mm. the scientific term? Mm-hmm. It is. All right, guys. Well, uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in the Windy City, this is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Cyhawk. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.